Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Oh, yes, hello. It's good to see you again. And before we go any further, have you been listening to it? Hey, Johnny, how about you and I do a podcast? We're both writers, so we'll do a show featuring short stories from the Flash Club. Sounds like a plan. Just 10 minutes every week, people grab a cup of coffee and tune in. We'll call it Short Story Hunters. Fancy doing it? Love to. Coming soon, Short Story Hunters, written in a flash by you. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it, actually. It's really terrific. We're getting some... If you follow our Twitter feed, you'll notice we're getting some very high-level endorsements indeed for it. It's only 10 minutes to listen to. You should subscribe. It comes out every Friday. I guarantee you're going to enjoy it. Let's meet our guests. <gasps> it's a new face! And there's a publisher! Oh, we love publishers. It's Daisy Hawkins. More about Daisy in a moment. It's an older face. Not that old. But it's quite an old, well, reasonably old face. Well, it's, it's a handsome face. Oh, hell, it's Andy Dickinson. Let's see who this is. Daisy, how nice to have you on the show. You are a new publisher. Well, actually new to us, probably not that new. Um, we've already established your geographical location. You're uh, outside of London and Farnham. Quite effectively, I think. We're going to be talking to you in detail about your publishing company because we love publishers on this show. Um, but first of all, we'd like you to recommend a book for us, please. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, my book recommendation is I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. Mm. Uh, she's one of those painfully talented people who created, wrote and starred in a Netflix show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. I was resistant to watching it because I was very adamant. I don't really like musicals. I won't really like it. was pressured into watching it and it is a genius. So I've now read her book. Um, it's described as a collection of personal essays, but she's really just telling her story in so many different formats. It's a beacon of creativity and just a masterclass in just the different ways you can tell a story. She does oh. um, things like, she sort of does a big bit about how musical theatre is very important to her, but she writes it as a musical and you can actually go onto her website and she performs the whole thing and you can read oh, along. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's just a masterclass. It has to do something out of the box and abnormal. It would grab my attention. Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant recommendation. Thank you, Daisy. She's got into the show pretty quickly, hasn't isn't she? Which you might have been watching previous episodes, I hope. How, how is everything down the south coast, Andy? Yeah, good. I've uh, mainly been growing my hair, obviously. That's yeah. my main purpose. You're her suit, you're her suit sir. What's the feline situation like? <laughs> One could tell at any moment, Peter. That'll be exciting, won't it? Oh, live on the internet. It's all happening here. You got a book for us? Yes, J.D. Salinger. Um, this one is Race Higher Than Roof Green Carpenters. I must admit, much like I decided The Back to the Future was my favourite film when I was 15, yeah. I decided Salinger was my favourite author in my 20s, and I read them all, and I had to go back to this this week as I recommended it. And, and I, just, I just love his voice. It's just such a beautifully confident, erudite voice. He's one of those mm. people that can make highbrow jokes that I frankly don't understand, but they're funny because his timing is just so brilliant. And um, yeah, loved it. Loved it. Great, fantastic. Thank you, Andy. Two brilliant recommendations there. 
from two guests who I have extremely high hopes for today. Indeed I do. Make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com. Now then, uh, if you were watching last week, and if you if you weren't, then you missed a heck of a show, actually, with uh, Tex and Jamila. You will know that we've changed the way we do the voting. Um, basically, what we've done is we made the popular vote the same as the show vote, which only seems to make sense, actually. So let's have a look and see how it all worked out. Now, this is how we voted on the show. Um show gave Matt with his submission that's no moon a solid 50% and you said 40% okay um Glasgow based James Dixon gave gave us curious dogs we gave it a more than respectable 65% of the show and you said 60% Dan gave us historical fiction about the Greek goddess of victory we gave him 70% and you said 60% again hmm do I detect a pattern here? Hmm. El Diaz gave us the uh, Dragon Cat Chronicle, second time that's been on the show. We gave it 75%. Terrific vote, that. And you said, yes, 60% again. <laughs> and finally, Phil sent us Gnome Man, question mark, and I'm a bit questionable about that question mark, which everybody on the live show absolutely loved. We gave it 80%. And you said, 60%. So that's the first time we've tried the new voting and uh, you've given us quite a quandary because we can't squeeze all the names onto the winning card. So it is Phil and it's El Diaz and it's Dan and it's James as well. So congratulations, you're all first. It's never happened before. I mean, that's because we changed the, the voting system. I wonder how it's going to work out this week. As you know, it's lithopia.com slash vote. We do need you to vote on the submissions today. But most importantly, our authors need you to vote as well. Straight into the first submission from Robert is mystery and it's called the far side of darkness and i'm going to read you robert's blurb the haunting specter of a beautiful woman's bizarre materialization foreshadows the discovery of an ancient psychological weapon specifically chosen to punish and kill five nantucket victims with little or no known connection to one another the questions why these particular five and why have they been targeted for retribution? What have they done? Who wants them dead? And why can't the killer be punished? Let me tell you about Robert. Robert says, I have had seven novels published, produced two off-Broadway plays, fantastic, and three musical reviews. Been busy. My last novel, Revenge, served cold. A dish best eaten. Mirador Publishing England has received excellent critical reviews along with five and four Amazon uh, star, that should be Amazon reader review ratings. You're clearly a class act there, Robert. And we need to deliver a classy reading for you. Is Emily. The Far Side of Darkness by Robert, read by Emily. The dying began as an invasive darkness, then slowly metastasized into a pervasive psychological induced fear that would grip the Nantucket's collective psyche. It was not to be a summer that anyone on the island would want to remember. The late afternoon Nantucket fog had developed early on the moors, as it often did in the summer months. It was not unusual for it to find its way through open windows and fill rooms with a clammy mist, wrapping him in a grey shroud. 
Eddie Reeson barely noticed the gathering fog in his rented room and made no effort to close his windows to keep it out. A shiver ran through his naked body, though he was not cold. The pain had begun over a week ago while he absently contemplated the disappearing foamy head on his mug of beer. It had grown increasingly intense with frequent spasms that seemed intent on crushing his chest. At first he thought it might be his appendix, but it was too high for that. Then he decided it must be an ulcer. It wasn't. Slowly the pain spread to his chest, and what had started as discomfort grew with an intensity that had refused to abate. He had gone to the emergency room at Nantucket Cottage Hospital and had been examined by two different doctors. He had been given an MRI and it seemed they had drawn blood more than a dozen times for tests that ultimately showed nothing. The doctors could offer no explanation. Conjecture was their only diagnosis. Yes, they agreed. The pain was real and privately they agreed it appeared to be life-threatening. But no one could answer why. During the last two days, nausea gripped him almost constantly with vice-like intensity. The fear pervading his inner being registered in the tears of self-pity flowed down his unshaven cheeks. Why me? he moaned, drawing his knees to his chest and rocking back and forth. Why me? he searched the vacant walls as though expecting a response. But Eddie needed no response. He knew the answer. His small, sparsely furnished room was heavy with the fetid smell of unwashed clothes and spoiling food. The room was dark save for a single candle that flickered wildly, though there was no apparent wind to give it movement. The light cast shadows of his body that played on the crusty brown walls every time he moved. At times the shadows seemed to take on an animated life of their own. Eddie felt his knees buckle as he stepped for the last time into the centre of the strange symbol, chalked on the wooden floor. It was a five-pointed star surrounded by two crudely drawn circles. They told him it was called a pentagram, a sanctuary, a haven from evil. At first, he had simply laughed derisively at the suggestion it might help. Now, he no longer laughed. Unkempt hair, freed from the rubber band that normally produced a ponytail, fell forward covering his face as he knelt to kiss the cross of Lorraine affixed to the small altar alongside the pentagram. The act was repugnant to him. This is all bullshit, he mumbled, but from the depths of his desperation he had been ready to try anything. More in resignation than hope, he had turned to this ancient ritual forcing himself to repeat childlike rhythms, which he did not attempt to understand. God damn this! He spat after several moments and rolled over on his back, staring at the cracked ceiling reminded him of a road map. He laughed, wondering if the thin maze of roadmap-like cracks were a cruel metaphor for his life. With great effort he pulled himself up and staggered into the small alcove kitchen where he poured himself a full glass of vodka. The vodka was the only thing that seemed to alleviate the pain and bring on sporadic sleep. He sat back on his bed, drained the glass and fell back on the pillow. Eddie had no idea how long he'd slept. When he woke, he lay in a semi-stupor, vaguely aware of the heavy rain shower that was devouring the fog. As dusk settled outside his window, he mustered the strength to stand up, brace himself against the wall, and stagger through the door to his bathroom. Oh, 
Okay, so we can see what's coming there, can't we? Um, chat room, uh, generally pretty positive, I think. Uh, positive beginning. Emily, uh, of course, who's just read it, says, I feel this would have benefited from a good edit and being read aloud. Uh, there was some repetition, sentences are too long and clunky, which is a reader trip me up, but an intriguing start, she says. What did you think, Andy? Yeah, I'll definitely echo that. And obviously, of course, Emily always reads beautifully. That she always does, helps. yeah. Um, it's a, not a bad title, Far Side of Darkness. Um, I thought the blurb was okay, but that's a big, big, long sentence uh, to start it. Um, the the opening was intriguing. Um, it was a little bit oblique, but, but it was intriguing. Um, and there were, there's some nice lines in this. Conjecture was their only diagnosis. I mean, that to me is it's, it's what straight out of that Salinger, that kind of mm. just really smart bit of bit of engineered prose. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I mean, the crux of this seems to be Eddie's illness, and and then obviously the crux is do I care about Eddie's illness? Mm. When we got to the pentagram, I was you know that that piqued my interest a little bit more. And then again, we had this really nice bit about. The, 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 cr uh, the cracking ceiling like a roadmap. But then after that, and I think Emily's already hinted it, but this a little bit too much. We then say about a cruel metaphor, and I would have just left it at the roadmap. That, that's nice. That, that's, that's quite pithy and cool. Then when you start it being about a cruel metaphor, well, you know, he obviously feels like he's in quite a cruel place already. I think we've established that. So yeah. I'd say I, if, if I would read on, um, but I wouldn't say I'm exactly reined into it. Cause yeah. So yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's push you for a number, Andy. One to five. Ooh, oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? When they're the first ones as well. I mean, yeah. it, this, this that bang in a three and a half for me. I'd have to say. Um, I, I can't. I there's no three. button here that says that. Three, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Quite reasonable. Quite reasonable. Daisy, how did you first reaction straight off the top of your head? Yes, I liked it. I thought it had, it sets the tone nicely. It's intriguing. Dropping things in like a pentagram and stuff always sort of like pricks my ears a little bit. But um, I think the writing, it feels a little bit like treacle at some times. And you're like, you're really mm. trying to like pour through it. My background is struggling with reluctant readers. So I'm always a yeah. fan of, yeah. if there's a simpler word to use, actually use it. Yes. You're going for the big ideas, big feelings, simply put. Yeah. And I was yeah. pouring through those pros so much, I almost maybe wasn't enjoying it as much. It makes it really mm. hard work. And it's okay every now and then, but you want to like rest your reader and then give that really nice, long, treacly one that they can enjoy. So, yeah, that was a lot of If you <laughs> like treacle, yes. Who doesn't like treacle? Uh, I think that's very interesting what you've just said, actually. If there's a simpler word, use it. Because actually, what we see quite a lot on submissions is the opposite. You know, writers who are just trying to, you know, get up with the game there, they, they think, oh, I, I can't use that simple word that I use all the time. I, I let me get in the thesaurus and find a more complicated word because yeah. that will make me a writer. I sound so smart when sometimes you can pack yeah. such a bigger punch with that really yeah. simple word, really simple sentence, and it just yeah. grabs you and you're like, wow. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, you, uh, you've you got into this very quickly, Daisy. Oh, um, what we like <laughs> to do... It's early days, yeah. Um, what we like to do is give a number. One is really not good. Five is amazingly good. And anything in between, really. It's got to be a whole number, though. I'll think of three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Let me, um, treacle and moderation. Yes, moderation. Um, let me, uh, just give you my, my, uh, straight off the top of the head, uh, thoughts here, Robert. 
I'm not sure about the title. Um, I can't get the far side out of my head. It's such a well-known thing. Is uh, All I think of now is Gary Larson. So I'm not wild about the title. I like the title, but I just think it's got unfortunate associations, actually, um, that could count against it when you're pitching it. Um, I don't understand. Uh, maybe I'm the only person. Oh, uh, Kate has just come on from YouTube. Starts with the mist, then immediately it pulls out of the moment. Yes, he does. Mist. One thinks of Stephen King, of course. Then we're talking about his pain, then the pentagram structure needs work. I couldn't agree more. I... Uh, I want, I want to, this is a very likeable submission. I want to like it actually more than perhaps I really do like it. I don't understand why he's suddenly worshipping a pentagram. Um, I don't think you've set, set this up quite, you just want to push ahead and just get into the rest of the story. But I want to, I want, I want to enjoy the setup. I mean, yeah, Nan, Nantucket, it's a summer or something. Feels like a summer read to me. We've, so what we've done is we've gone from the mundane to the bizarre, almost in the first page, which I, I think is just too fast. And if you remember Tex, who was on last week, she gave us this wonderful metaphor of writers. Do you remember what she said? She said, popping the second button. I think you've popped the third and the fourth button right there on the, on the, on the, on the homepage. And maybe that's not a good thing to do. Um, Yes, but basically, I do want to like it. I'd like to give it a four, but I'm going to judge what I'm seeing in front of me. It's a three. It's a three all round. Let's see what the chat room says. Yeah, I agree, Steve. I think you're right there. So, my three has just gone up there. We've very low latency today. It's threes all round today. It is like that, isn't it, Kate? I think that's a very, very respectable start, actually. Nothing to be shy of there. Shall we have one more submission and then talk to Daisy? Do you think that's a good idea? I do. Second submission of the day is from Matt. Matt Pro Wagner. And it's called One Who Protects. And it's adventure. Uh, there's a QR code there too. Always encourage you, if you're sending us a submission, to give us a, a link. It could be to anything, actually. It could be a blog, Facebook page, don't know, Amazon page if you want, that's fine. And, and we'll turn it into a QR code that people can scan and go to. This is Matt's blurb. The hands have grown quiet. The clans, having long slaughtered one another in pursuit of the spoils, promised when slaying legendary demons. After abandoning his clan, Gurren seeks redemption. Something he finds in a monk who gifts him immortality and an eye that can see the truth. He asks for Gurren to protect these lands. Years pass and there has been little to protect it from. Okay. That is, until someone is killed in a nearby village, cleaved in half by a blade that can cut through both body and soul. Hmm, a soul cleaver. Um... Matt, you are a 25-year-old writer, most interested in writing thrillers, good commercial genre, linked to the supernatural, I like that even more. Um, I like to lead my reader, you say, through several twists and turns, uh, but above all, paint detail, visual backdrops, uh, backdrops along the way so that each scene creates a detailed picture. Yes, we like that too. You're ticking all the boxes here. I love writing, always finding a new thing to work on in any bit of free time I get. So I hope that level of dedication shines through. If anybody can make it shine through, Matt, it's going to be our Robert. The first page. One Who Protects by Matt, read by Robert. A blood moon hung heavily in the sky, its usual pale white eclipsed by crimson. 
Only when the land had been dyed red by slaughter did the blood moon appear, shining down its judgment from the heavens. Bodies littered across the grounds of the village as the possessions of the dead burned to nothing in the flames their attackers had brought with them. The battle that had taken place here had already ended some time ago. Nothing left but merciless slaughter as children and women were dragged from their homes. Leave no one to chase us in the name of vengeance. Drag them to the hill. The shouts of his clan drowned out the screams and pleas of those they sought to kill. Gurun stood amongst the chaos of dancing ash and flame, armour glistening with the blood of the fallen, though this was the blood of warriors, not their kindred. He spotted a young girl struggling to make an escape. She must have been no more than five years old, dragging herself through the mud and filth that caked the ground. Her leg was broken, clear to see, as the bone jutted off at an angle it shouldn't. He went to the girl, plucking her up, and threw her over his shoulder to the hill. The village burned brightly behind them, lighting up the sky with fluttering flames that licked at the stars. A long line of the villagers knelt upon the hill's crest, features downcast, as some muttered to themselves, praying to the gods that had long abandoned them. A member of the Gurun's clan stood behind each of the kneeling villagers, their unsheathed blades gleamed with violence. Gurun's arms felt heavy, breaths shallow, as the leader of his clan approached. Weavers can pass on their signs through the generations. Each time it grows stronger, the most powerful of any of the clans were those with the longest lineage, and that meant, when defeating a rival clan, all must die. Gurun watched the back of the girl before him. Heaving with pained breaths, she turned and looked at him over her shoulder with trembling eyes. Face dirtied with mud, streaks running through it where tears had cleaned a path. No, this was something he could not do. As the leader raised his hand, Gurun dismissed his Kuro blade to the ground, unsheathing his Shiro blade as he struck his hand against the flint on his right leg, Sparks danced from his fingertips, leaving a trail behind him like hovering fireflies as he swiftly painted the symbol for lightning into the air above before him. Lightning style, heaven's blade. Rain beat down from a clouded sky as he stumbled onwards, blood oozing messily from gaping wounds that were carved across his body, clothes torn and blooded, his breaths ragged. The smoke of extinguished flames still billowed from the village some way off behind him, choking the sky. He couldn't make it much further like this, a trail of blood marking his path. He staggered onwards, having killed all he'd once considered comrades. If saving those people had been his last act, so be it. He was about to give up when he spotted a small temple. Surrounded by trees, it beckoned him with the promise of shelter. Though weathered, it stood still proudly a testament to the faith of those who built it. But these warring times left it with not many to tend to it. Paint peeling away, worn talismans plastered all over its doors to ward off evil spirits. He hauled himself up the creaking steps to the door, stepping inside just as a roar of thunder rang out behind him.
Yeah, so you're getting a fairly uniform reaction there, mate. So you might just want to... Uh, I don't know if you're with us at the moment. If you are, just bang us a note on YouTube, say hello. Um, and you remember, you can review us. We're reviewing your manuscript. You can review us as well. It's, it's very egalitarian. Um, but just, if you're not, just freeze phrase it now so you can see everything that, that's being said. Um, Johnny is zoning out. Kate says, is it giving us the backstory? RK Cap says, Rachel, what's he thinking? I don't know who he really is. I, I agree. It does feel quite generic. And Cora, Cora's going on too long for me. I'm losing interest. Annie says that. Yeah, Emily, a bit too dramatic. Steve, getting a little carried away with some of the descriptions. Rachel, again, why do I care? So you're, you're getting a, an interesting opinion that more or less is saying the same thing, actually, Matt. I'm wondering what Daisy's thinking. Yes, I think sometimes you read first chapters and you're like desperate for a bit of action. There was a lot of action in this one. <laughs> Maybe yep, a little can't bit too about much. that. And yeah, now I feel like bad complaining. <laughs> there was a lot of action, a lot of descriptions. Sometimes knowing when you don't need to give a description of every little thing can actually make the descriptions you do give a lot more powerful. Um, I wrote down and now I already can't remember what the first line was, but I would yeah. lose your first line and make your second line your first line. Um, first lines are, in my area of publishing, huge. It's your chance to like yeah. grab someone or pretty much the boys that don't care about reading, the girls that don't care about reading, shut the book, throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of your chance. And I think, I think the second line just slid more, there's a blood move when everyone's dead. Yeah. There, that's good. Yes, it's much <laughs> more arresting, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, one again. Once again, please a number. I would say two. Aww. That's all right. You got to say what you got to say. I don't know what Andy's going to say though. Um, first of all, I'd say Matt, you're 25, so good on you, and you can write. So there's no there's no danger there. Just just carry on. Um, I'd say your blurb could do with tightening up a bit. Like the first thing that, that I thought when I looked at it was just, you, you need to figure out some formatting on your page because for this process, that looks like a heck of a lot of dense text on the screen. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'd say was I think I think dense description is, is somewhat of a problem here. I mean, it does kind of... I, I used to try and write comic books and, and I had some friends who were trying to write for Warhammer like novellas oh, wow, yes and this, yes this reminded me of that it was in that genre i think the opening line was something like there's a blood moon hanging heavily in the sky and and it's 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 nice but i think it's as as daisy's alluded to it's a little bit too cliche and generic mm. for an opening line i work a bit on that and the other one of my other writing heroes is joss whedon and mm. joss whedon has this fantastic quote where he says make it dark make it horrific make it dramatic and then for god's sakes tell a joke and and that is what i would sort of allude to with you i think you know there's a lot of blood here there's a lot of darkness there's a lot of description of blood and darkness and screaming and hence i was losing a bit of what was going on going on and i really just needed a little bit of light i needed yeah. whether that was humor or or just some some kind of emotion there was a bit where you said um no, this was something you couldn't do, which gave me a glimpse into your protagonist's thought process, which was good. But I think I needed more of that and less of the, the blood and the guts and the, and the screaming. I'm not against yeah. blood and screaming, but like I say, I need a joke or some light. No, or who, 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 who doesn't like a little bit of blood and guts and screaming sometimes? Exactly. In, in All right, so numbers would be, Andy? Uh, three. Oh, I pressed the wrong one. 
I pressed the wrong one. So sorry. I, I was so convinced you were going to go too. Oh, I, I've never done that before. Right, okay. Retake. Matt, you got a... There you go. And I'm so, I, to apologise, I'm going to... No! Yes. We haven't done that before, and we probably won't do it again. Um, oh, I like I that. Do that again. That's good. Not right now. <laughs> That's just for you, Andy. Um, I'm going to go for two. That was why my finger was uh, hovering over there. Um, because um, I'm an agent. I've got to make money out of these things, Matt. And um, I, don't know how, I don't know how I could sell that. I don't know who I'd sell it to. Um, and I don't think I get much money because it's very, very generic. So, you know, we've been there. We've, we've seen this kind of thing so many times before. It's all right. But, you know, what's, where's the USB? What's different? Um, imagine me on a Monday morning trying to get on the phone to some of my favourite publishers. And I, you know, I've, got, I've got this amazing new manuscript from a brilliant new writer called Matt. And it's... <gasps> Um, what do I say? What do I, you know, what, what's the cell line? What's the thing that makes it substantially different to Warhammer or anything else like that? And it's, it's not there for me. So that's why I always take a commercial point of view. And let's see how the chat room's voting. Yeah, they've gone two. They've gone two. So Andy was the three. So 45%. Not too bad, Matt. Not too bad. And of course, as everyone says, you are right at the beginning of your writing career as well. Now, I think it's high time, isn't it? Yes. I think it's high time. We, we get to know Daisy a bit. Um, there's so much to, to talk to you about, actually. But I want to ask you just about one thing at the moment. And I think that will lead to a lot of other things. Because so much you've said so far is so interesting, actually. Um, ransom are high-low high low that's a publishing term i've never come across can you please enlighten me i'd love to so high low books is a very simple concept which is for struggling and reluctant readers which is the area we publish for that says sometimes your interest age so the things that you're interested in can be a lot older than your reading ability so we basically create age-appropriate books so books that have a high interest age there are more adult topics more grown up but keep the reading age and the level of the writing really low so oh. that if you have fallen a bit behind these books will still engage you they're still interesting but okay. you can read them they're accessible so the subject matter old. is is older than the than the use of language Absolutely. Our most okay. severe example, which helps people understand, is we have huh. a horror series mm. that is got the reading age of a five-year-old. So if you were sort of really low level, just, you know, really picking up learning to read English, but yeah. it is horror. We have another one that's about a Afro-Caribbean detective who's doing the right thing. And I mean, in that book, even though it's got the reading age of sort of five, it's got people getting beaten up with baseball bats, those drug dealers shacking up with girls. It's, yeah. <laughs> you can still do so much with really simple language. Yeah, it's, so or you, or you, could use, you could use them to scare five-year-olds, possibly. Absolutely. And yeah, so. You do worry sometimes teachers don't read everything correctly. You see a five-year-old and buy it. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Let's have a look at the old website here. It's a pretty cool website, actually. Ransom UK. What's, what's the history? I mean, what's, what's the, the, the genre and the niche? 
so we started doing struggling reluctant readers and that is our niche so we do high low books for them and also books that engage reluctant readers very specialist stuff hmm. and we've also started moving into reading programs because we're experts at literacy all of our high low books are also to develop reading skills if you get reluctant readers reading they will improve practice makes perfect and um we also have a reading program for teaching children to read right at the first level and hopefully to develop reading so that they don't become reluctant readers in the first place (laughs) yeah yeah now tell us about this this looks very special to me (gasps) yes this is our latest series this is my latest commissioning situation (laughs) i don't know if we've got many football fans i actually am not a football fan (laughs) so this is a little excuse me excuse me (laughs) i don't get it i really don't but you learn to write about things you don't get i tell you (laughs) um so it's a series of fictionalized biographies of top footballers which is a huge tool for unlocking motivation to read in 12 to 15 year olds which is when you can start losing not to generalise, but boys certainly can get turned off. So bringing them back in with facts about their favourite sports stars, footballers. And these books are fantastic. They're really gritty in the mud. They don't sound like an author's written them, which is something that like people might be interested to hear. So when I talk about using simple language, these books go one step further. My proofreader, the proofreader hates us because he's like, pen isn't a word. Ref isn't a word. You can't get a touch on a ball. We use really colloquial real football language so we speak the language of our sort of readership and it pulls them in because they're going to get these what books. do you think about this andy yeah pen and ref are i've had this email conversation a lot <laughs> i think it's actually a brilliant idea actually so i mean who, yeah. who came up with this is your series did you devise it uh, well, my uh, our MD, Jenny, who is a fantastic, because she used to work in commissioning outside, she's absolutely fantastic. She was sort of open and iron. She wanted to do football biographies. And, you know, a year or so ago, I said, well, listen, the Euros is coming up. Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's blast. Yeah. And there's so many books for marketing and publicity on top. Yeah. And then we sort of ran with it from there. And that's where they became these sort of like very colloquial books that... Yeah, yeah, we just did a very specific kind of so thing. Like, one other thing that's really interesting, actually, because, I mean, you say uh, on the website, many of our books are dyslexia-friendly with carefully chosen fonts yeah. and layouts. Print, I didn't, and I hadn't thought about this before, printed on cream paper or even yeah. black. What's going on there? So when you have um, dyslexia, this is a very generalised, I'm not an expert in this, <laughs> but you can get a glare off the page, which is very, it makes it even more difficult to read. So when you use off-white paper, you can actually reduce that glare, which makes it a little bit easier. They talk about words sort of dancing on the page. It makes it easier. But needless to say, a big part of sort of like behind the scenes of that is if you are the child reading with the cream-coloured paper book, it sort of signposts you as a bit of a struggler. Yeah. That could be one side, yeah. many children fine with it, but some yeah. people actually see the green paper as a turn-off and like, don't give me that, they're all going to know that I struggle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you wow. sort of get around that, and actually a way to do that is with black paper with white text on top, and it creates a really stylish, really like, yeah. tone-setting cool. sort of like look of the book, yeah. and there's none of the embarrassment of I've got the book with cream paper. I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, we do a lot of stuff that really gets into the psyche of reluctant and struggling do you, readers. Do you sell mostly oh. to, to readers themselves, parents who read themselves at schools? 
predominantly schools really um we used to have we still do have so many great relationships with special educational needs coordinators okay. so uh, people who would be talking to children who are struggling but a lot of teachers librarians and growingly now parents especially our yeah. school closures i'm sure you can imagine oh, no, totally, there's no yes. need for yeah, books for yeah. catch-up and books to re-engage children, build their stamina. If you've yeah. not read in a few months, you actually need to <laughs> build it back yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're going to find nothing but totally unqualified support amongst uh, yeah, people like us, Litopians, uh, writers. I mean, anyone who's, you know, who's trying to get readers hook for life which is really what we're trying to do yeah. I mean, it's got to be a good thing it's got to be a good thing i mean more strength to you and more power to you how are you finding things at the moment I, is it boom time because of home education or is it uh, challenging it was challenging to start with but the boom time is definitely coming now where sort of the realization yeah. of how much sort of people have slipped behind as happens so um school closures have had such an impact there's catch up across all areas of education yeah, and really. reading is going to be yeah. the most important is how you unlock everything else if you you know if they're going to be behind on their reading that's going yeah. to affect their science everything yeah so, exactly yeah nice you've, got, <laughs> you've got lots and lots of lovely comments you, you made a lot of friends already not even halfway through um, in, the, in the chat room that's brilliant i think we should look at one more submission though and then we'll talk a little bit more third submission today from jamie historical crime long train home I like that title. And this is Jamie's blurb. Ryan Spencer won't get on a plane. And a major league ball player who won't get on a plane better hit 400, knock in 150 runs and never chase the high cheese. I wish I knew what that meant. So, like Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb before him, Ryan rides the rails from town to town. But as he travels across the continent, he also travels back in time. On the train, Ryan teams up with 13-year-old Georgie Abbott in search for the man who murdered his sister. They spend 70 years and the rest of that summer tracking down the killer. Isn't that intriguing? Let me tell you about uh, Jamie. I've been a waiter, a university professor. I like this. A messenger, played in a band and worked as a data analyst for the Calgary Flames and Ottawa Senators in the NHL. I think I know what that is. I cried when the Expos left, Mont left Montreal for Washington. All right, so we're deep into, uh, into sports here. Not necessarily an area I know about. Maybe Andy does, but I don't think it's football somehow. But I do think we're going to give you a terrific reading from Jeff. The first page. Long Train Home by Jamie, read by Jeff. Prologue. He watched from the shadows as she walked away from the lost house. She was young and pretty and tired. From where he stood, surrounded and still, one long stride into the alley, he could see the dark circles under her eyes. It was time. A sin would become his. His hand went under his coat and felt for the long blade strapped into the lining. Chapter 1. He can fly. Are you fucking kidding me? I can hit, I can hit with power. I can run, I can feel it, and I can throw. I'm what the scouts call a five-tool player. I can take one low and outside and turn it into two if the right fielder jakes the play. I can check a mistake. Back row bleachers and cherry pup quick. I can smother a short hop like an unwanted puppy and nail a jackrabbit for shallow left field. But I won't get on a plane. They can leave it if you crave the occasional long line or forget to ask for ID 
and I might even overtake up the ass if you can put it over the fence. But if you won't fly, you better be able to hit. 400, knocking 150 runs, and never chase the high cheese. What the fuck does that mean? What are you telling me? You can't get on a fucking plane? Kevin McCarthy slammed his fist on his desk. McCarthy was the Montreal GM, my boss. He looked like an IBM executive, maybe hungrier than that, but the CEO of a California startup that was going to hit it big, but hadn't yet. Have you ever flown? Uh, just once. He stared at me for a second. What do you do in college? I only played one year, and we didn't fly much. Uh, mostly buses. When the team flew, I would drive with George. Who's George? Uh, Tim mascot. What the fuck was his problem? Sir? George, the mascot. What was his problem? Oh, he was deathly afraid. Wouldn't even go near an airport. His daughter ended up becoming a flight attendant. He disowned her. Kevin paused. Are you fucking with me, Ryan? Yes, sir. Mother daughter, not about the rest. What was he? Oh, excuse me? What the fuck was he? What kind of mascot? Uh, an armadillo, sir. You have got to be fucking kidding me. The guy dressed up every week in an armadillo costume and he was afraid to fly? I'll be playing the fucking plane went down. McCarthy spun his chair so he was looking out of the window across the St. Lawrence, then spun it back. Have you seen anybody, sir? You know what the fuck I mean. A psychiatrist, psychiatrist, whatever. No, sir. He reached for the phone and buzzed his assistant. Lara, do you have Dr. Bannock's number handy? Listen for a second. Right then, uh, talk to Freddy. He'll be able to track down the number. Set up an appointment for Ryan Spencer. We're down there in a second, and Ryan can give you some times and dates to work for him. He looked at me for confirmation. I shook my head. Kevin clicked the mute button, but kept the phone where it was. What's the problem, Ryan? No problem, Mr. McCarthy. I just don't need to see a psychiatrist. It's nothing to be embarrassed about, Ryan. I can give you the names, but there are seven guys on the team seeing Dr. Benedict for one thing or another. Your thing is just a fear of flying. If I told you what a couple of those guys are... He paused, then waved his hand. Never mind that. Just understand, this is no big deal, and no one know about it, unless you choose to talk about it. I don't have a problem with psychiatrists, Mr. McCarthy. It's not a psychological problem. I'm not afraid to go on a plane. I just won't. I might have saved some time if I got to this earlier. The GM looked at me for a second and flicked off the mute button. Never mind Dr. Benedict's number, Lara. So, um, for some reason, I'm thinking Green Book. It's not quite that, but it's just got shades of Green Book for me. Um, you got a fairly positive uh, reaction, I think, actually, Jamie, in the Genius Room. A lot of people like the voice there. Kate says, I feel like we've landed in the middle of Goodfellas or something. Yeah. Daisy, what did you think to that? Yes, I really liked it. I agree. I think the voice was really good. Obviously, I have no idea about baseball or any of that sort of the high cheese. But that didn't matter. It Can really somebody tell us what the high cheese is, please? Yeah. <laughs> so, no idea what they were kind of saying, but that really didn't matter. I still absolutely would read on, which is a real art to do that. <laughs> and um, I thought the dialogue was very natural. I like it when books have really natural dialogue and it's not yeah. sort of awkward and not what people would say. <laughs> um, I like the title. The first line, that first little chunk at the top, obviously I'm a bit confused by it as I don't sort of get the whole thing, but I didn't like the first line of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm intrigued. I, re I did really like it, though. I think it's very well written. I like the character. I already I like the it. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think there's quite a lot to like about this. So give us a number. There is. Um, I think a four. Ooh. 
Terry's just said, sorry, but it didn't live up to the blurb. It didn't work for me at all, says Terry. Interesting. Uh, RK Caps, bit Roman Chandler-like voice, pretty good. Needs tightening up, says Ancora. Johnny is a three to four, and he eventually went for three. Michelle is going for four. That's the sort of territory we're in. Handy. Um, well, we're in the territory of sports, probably, so that's good. That's, yes. that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it, type of blurb. It, it was, I, you know, I'd have to say, it's easily the best blurb we've had so far. There, there was a famous footballer for Arsenal called Dennis Bergkamp, and he wouldn't get in the plane. And uh, um. he was a brilliant, brilliant footballer. Um, and, and Arsenal were in Europe in the Champions League, and he'd have to get a car, and he'd have to leave early and stuff. And it was, anyway, so, so the, I, I like that reminiscence in in the blurb i did mm. get there as baseball um and then we had this and then he travels through time to, to 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 solve a crime and i was like wow i really wasn't expecting that yeah um, so yeah really interesting blurb um nhl i think that's hockey i think that's ice hockey actually nice yes. opening <laughs> sentence uh i mean we had a prologue didn't we peter I know. Look, I didn't like that prologue at all. It's a generic prologue. We've seen that sort of prologue so many times before, and I, I could have happily lost that, and you'd have got, you'd have gained another point from me actually for for that. Actually, um, Jamie, um, I do like the idea a lot. I'm not identifying enormously with the character so far, and my reservation, I suppose, is that all you're doing really in the first page or two is just restating the basic idea. And you, we, we will get up to speed just by looking at the book and hearing about it or reading the blurb, you know, and I don't know that you need to do that. But I, I think we do need to um, to get under Ryan's skin a little bit more. He's just got to come that bit more alive, actually. And also, actually, all he's saying is he's saying I'm not frightened of flying. I just don't want to fly. OK, well, so where's the mystery then? So I, I need a bit more there, I think. Um, numbers, numbers, Andy. I would continue from the blurb and say that you got straight into the action, straight into the crux of this guy's dilemma, and I think you did that well. I love the stuff about George the Armadillo mascot driving you to games. Yes. That was funny. I thought you did really well at giving jokes and exposition through dialogue, but I must admit, I do echo Pete's concern as like, don't overdo it, and I think we need, we did need to get beyond that to really yeah. get sucked into you know the, the drama of, of the book but but i would say it's it's the, the best uh, uh submission we've had thus far and i would give it a four a four indeed a lot of people are thinking three is all fours michelle was a photographer for the calgary flames in the 80s that's fantastic this is just the strength of latopia you know wherever you are whatever you're talking about there's somebody who's actually been there done that knows about it in which case michelle what the heck is a high cheese please please tell me we haven't been using some ghastly euphemism for the past 10 minutes that somebody hasn't horribly pranked us i hope not i'm going to go for two yeah so things are moving aren't they let's have a look at the scoreboard interesting uh the, the lag is still there we've got a bit of lag haven't we we're streaming on ultra-low latency, but uh, it's probably about five seconds lag, actually. Oh, you can't complain about that at all, can you, Jamie? You've just pulled off uh, an 80%. Wow. Let's have a look and see what's next. 
Number four today comes from Alex. It's magical realism. Is that a genre, I wonder? Or is it an attribute? I don't know. We'll find out. It's called Second Lives. This is Alex's blurb. David Ricardo can bring people back to life with the stroke of a pen. He receives packages that tell the stories of people who have recently died. And at the end of each story are two boxes. Yes or no? If he circles yes, they get a second chance. Davy has no idea why he's been given this gift. It would be easier to understand if he wasn't a 22-year-old corner store clock barely keeping his own life on a leash. Second Lives is a mystical coming-of-age tale. Got me interested. This is about Alex. I was an Air Force brat and living in a dozen different places in Canada. Is that living or it should be lived, isn't it? I think... English isn't my first language, you know. <laughs> and, and before I was 18, my later formative years were spent playing bass and singing in a power pop band and paying the bills, slinging hash, not the drug. Despite that, I managed to end up with a PhD from Ottawa University. Well done. Fabulous, in fact. Congratulations for your PhD. And even more congratulations, because you've got reading from Kate. Second page. Lives by Alex, read by Kate. I can bring the dead to life. I don't mean technically like a surgeon that reaches in and restarts a heart on an operating table or metaphorically like new love for a widow. I mean that somebody who has died and been mourned gets to walk again, to talk again, to feel a cool wind dry the sweat on their cheek again, to hold their daughter's two hands and whirl her in a circle until she laughs so hard she can't catch her breath, to hit a guy on Rideau Street for looking their girlfriend up and down to hear a song trailing out of a car window, the song that was playing on the transistor radio when they swam naked at the old quarry by the Smithson farm. I mean that I can bring the dead to life. The first package arrived on Sunday morning, or at least I found the package on Sunday morning. The only writing on the envelope was my name and address and the word urgent in red ink in the top right-hand corner. There was no return address, no postmark, stamp, nothing. It was a pretty substantial package, not a page or two, and I could feel a big binder clip holding the papers together through the envelope. Two and a half years since I held that package, but I haven't forgotten how it looked and felt. But I was already late for work, so I dropped it on the kitchen table. I was the night manager at Abood's Convenience on Flora, but I worked from eight to nine on Sundays because that was Mr Abood's day to spend with his family. It was 5.50 an hour to ring in people's purchases, bag receipts and lock up every night except Saturdays, my day off. When I got to the store that morning, Gary was already waiting out front. Davy, 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 how you doing, man? You're late, buddy. I need to get some milk for the little lady. She's sleeping, but when she wakes up, she's gonna want milk with her crunch, man. He was talking just a little too fast, as usual. When I first met him, I assumed he was high, but it turned out he was just one of those guys whose motor revved a little high. Not that he hadn't done a lot of drugs. It just wasn't what made him talk fast. So you left Ginny all alone up at your place? Chill, Davy, it's only for a minute. And Davy, she's just so beautiful, curled up and smiling and a good dream. I couldn't wake her. She's four, Gary. Relax, Davy. I'm only gone a minute. Anyway, what's going to happen to her? She's sleeping in her own home. 
I looked at him in disbelief. Her own home? You think that makes her safe? 43% of people die in their own homes. Did you know that? Gary looked at the ground and mumbled something I couldn't hear. What? I said they should have probably moved. I stood there staring at him until he finally looked up at me. He held my eye for a second, his round John Lennon glasses with the fishbowl lenses making his eyes look abnormally large. What? For Christ's sakes, what are they doing, juggling cobras? I mean, come on! I shook my head in disgust. On the other hand, I had no idea how many people really died in their own homes. Oh, let's get your milk and get you back home before the CAS figures out what a screw-up you are. Oh, and throw some smokes on there, Davy. Gary was short and skinny, and he had long, straight, lank black hair that he parted in the middle around a pockmarked face. He had this odd way of walking where he bounced as if he was trying to take off into the air with each step. Maybe it was to compensate for being short, or maybe it was just how he walked. But you didn't notice any of that until you had met him a few times because of that nose. It was an enormous, sprawling blob. It was always blotchy and red and looked like something gooey and ugly and smelly was going to start oozing out. I'll tell you how bad that nose was. Gary didn't have a nickname. Think about that. Okay, I'm thinking about that. Um, so Steve says, long-winded beginning. I get it. You can bring back the dead. Um, other people do like it. Um, great first line, says RK. Nice first paragraph, says Johnny. And then a little bit further down, this is interesting, so we get the same people saying, giving you comments, basically, live laboratory this is. A little bit later, he says, I'm drifting a little. Hmm. I need tightening, says Ancora. Started strong. Annie, Dave is interesting, but Gary, not so much. Yeah, that's right, actually. I agree with that. Not sure about the focus on Gary, says Kate, who, of course, read it. Started to meander, says Johnny, so need a goal motivation. I'm missing it. Terry, Gary's getting a lot of attention. Is he a major character? We don't know. Vagabond, we should just open the envelope at the start. Yes, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Andy. Um, <clears throat> you have an excellent conceit, um, and you conveyed it extremely well in, in the blurb, Alex. So I'd say congratulations for that, yeah. first of all. Um, the only concern I had about the blurb was when you mentioned he was a corner store clerk. And then and then we started the reading and it was it was like I, I just for me it was like you were hitting it on the head far too hard. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. You know, you've done that job in the blurb with your conceit, your conceit is good. But then it started with the conceit, the conceit, the conceit, the conceit. Mm. And, and no matter how well you described it, I was like, well, yeah, and I knew that from the blurb. So that was a bit of a disappointment. And then we went from this kind of like huge worldviews, like you know, from what your protagonist can do, to this micro view of this package, which is therefore important. So I'm, I'm kind of, okay, we, we, if we pull out now from the package, maybe I'll get a bit more intrigued. But then you took us straight to the corner store, which was oh. what I feared in the first place, because we've been to so many yeah. corner stores before. We have. And yeah. We've dealt with so many characters that work part-time at a corner shop, whatever. Yeah. And, and you can write, and I like the description of the nose and the nickname at the thing at the end made me giggle. But, but unfortunately this did not sell the brilliant conceit you had in the blurb for me yeah there's only one thing worse than than a high concept uh, there's a high concept that sort of goes off the 
goes down it's got to go up hasn't it it's got to launch really rather than sort of going down afterwards did you find there was a world there i i i couldn't feel i didn't relate to i didn't get the 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 idea of world building or an environment or a place i was kind of interested in i'll tell you why i asked because our very first submission of the day from robert nantucket i felt i felt there was a world that was being inhabited there not quite getting that here I guess if you combine the two, you know, with the first one, we were saying we were getting too much world building, too much mist. Oh, right. Uh, you know, and if, I mean, having lived in America for a little time, I guess I was imagining the corn store that I would have right. used, yeah. you know, when I was smoking camel lights back in my 20s. So, right. so, so for me, I was getting, I, I guess cool. I was connecting that onto that. I was, I still am cool. Well, and I'm still trying to be cool. Let's be honest. So, uh, you know, I, I think with dialogues that was was quite had smarts, um, yeah. But, but yeah, unfortunately, I think yeah that. It wasn't. It wasn't what I'd hoped from the blood. Yeah, yeah. That's what Hannah's just saying. It was interesting the package, then disengaged because it went off on a tangent. I couldn't agree more. Numbers, then, please, Andy. It's a solid three point seven five. Well, how am I? How what am I supposed to do with that? Well, it's there for. You're rounding up. You're rounding up, Daisy. No, yeah. I think I second like everything that was said there. I think it was a lovely blurb. I absolutely would be opening that and reading that properly. Um, it gave me very like Midnight Library vibes, oh, yeah. which I would love sales like that at Ransom. So, yeah. <laughs> so that always suits me. Um, so very interesting. Um, I like the first line. I thought this is going to be really, really good. We've got a great synopsis, great writing. And then it did sort of drift like everyone's kind of like realised it just sort of, there wasn't a lot of control over what was actually going on. It just sort mm. of like weird a little bit. However, there were some like really nice little, I call them like diamond moments in amongst it all, which you would sort of like want to keep if you were to repurpose the lot. Mm. Really nice, like astute little observations about things. I really like the bit about obviously this character building with the motor revving and sort of, you know, there were just some nice little lines in there that were nice, but as a whole, it was just sort of like not keeping its focus in a way that kept you focused right. i think but yeah yeah, yeah all right so the, so the numbers would be i think uh i think a four. Ooh. Ooh. and annie's giving a four as well in the in the chat room i'm yeah going to go i guess i just have to I have to go down a bit really i'm going to, i i want to give it a four on the basis of the words in front of me i always say this to people then i always break my own rules because i get so carried away by the wonderful ideas of people senders but uh, no i'm i'm only going to judge the words in front of me which means a three let's see what the current state of play is in the chat room okay okay i see where we where we are Nothing wrong with that. 70%. Nothing wrong with that. Where you have one more submission. Yes, uh, RK Caps is so, so true. We do need more, uh, more likes, please. The more likes we get on YouTube, the more we are recommended. And the more rec- we're recommended, the more we're going to appear in people's feeds and more people see us. So, what's this? Oh, we've got a review. We've been reviewed by Rachel. I'm writing to say thank you. I was really nervous when I was watching the show on Sunday. He joined us live before then. Spell Tinker had been seen by any by mum. 
who's a of course it does count several agents who've rejected it positive reaction writing by Pete that's me chat room star guests Jamie and Dean they were great weren't they giving me the confidence I needed to learn from the mistakes I made in Spelltoken believe in myself a little more and start out on a new project thank you and thank you Rachel we love it when you uh, you say something nice about us remember please to like us and subscribe this is our last submission of the day that's an interesting title you know what I've always liked that word Imago. I like it. Science fiction, political thriller, it's from Martin. And this is the blurb. Hope I can do it justice. It looks like a poem. Dystopian future of female transitions. Dysfunctional Earth is transformed. America's first transgender president. Family tragedy faced and overcome. Political turmoil faced and overcome. Lessons learnt from life's adversities. Star of David's powers revealed. How are lessons used? How the powers of the Star of David used. War with Moon's population averted. Sounds like a newspaper headline. Time travel unravels mankind's path to destruction. Gosh. <laughs> so what's it about, Martin? <laughs> just, I'm just a bit dim sometimes, really. I'm sure everybody else knows what it's about. Uh, this is your buyer. I'm a 50-something retiree with a wife good <laughs> five adult children and currently three grandchildren congratulations you've got a dynasty going there martin i have twin granddaughters <laughs> it never ends your, your reproductive prowess is impressive <laughs> uh, i've adopted a chinese garden rescue dog what's i don't know what a chinese garden dog is she was recovered from inside a meat wagon in china good grief I'm inspired by ghosts of past professors and students of Oxford University, 20 miles away. I try to write novels others will enjoy. I want to inspire my readers. I want them to coexist with me among my characters and locations. I want to transport readers' minds to unimaginable worlds. They will never want to leave. There's one person to deliver your manuscript. Here's Kay. The first page. Imagine by Martin Wyatt, read by Kay. Chapter 1. He was a seahorse. Gestation period went full term, nine months. Eggs were not placed in an artificial womb. The latter's transparency was designed for parents to view evolution of eggs to embryo. Embryo transformed to fetus. Fetus transmuted to unborn baby. His choice was to carry his children in his womb. He gave birth to two of his four children. Husband and wife were seated next to each other in their apartment. Anxiously they anticipated. Hands were tightly held, eyes fixated on air screen. Report from prenatal midwife was imminent. Home medical care scan had been completed. There was a hiatus. Tension rose. Why the delay? Fearful thoughts produced unwanted image of stillbirth. Funeral wake was not a celebratory gathering. Minutes seemed like hours. Nervous glances were unspoken sentiments. His wife dreamt of this moment. Promise was of children. It was continuation. New life would emerge. Sigh of relief. Personal air screen threw out a mini attendant of a 21st century midwife. She smiled. They never heard the congratulatory words she spoke. He wept tears of joy at the news. He laughed. Adrenaline rush. Midwifery attendant was his equivalent of a female Archangel Gabriel. Birth of a child foretold. 
husband embraced wife. He was unprepared for internal discomfort. He loathed all-day sickness. Hips broadened. He hated his look. Belly became a bloated oval shape. He loved the sensation of pregnancy. He revelled in anticipatory excitement of childbirth. Obligatory baby shower heralded pending reality of childbirth. With looks of disbelief, pregnant women and their partners welcomed the couple at antenatal classes. Heads turned towards him. Eyes stared incredulously at his bump. Mouths gaped wide. Lungs took a sharp intake of breath. Air expelled in audible gasps. Pregnant man spoke. He gave an introductory greeting. It's my first pregnancy, he proclaimed enthusiastically. It was as though a woman was announcing her first pregnancy, yet he was a man. I may well have announced I was carrying quins, Seahorse said, imagining thoughts of onlooking disbelievers. Incredulous thoughts of onlookers reflected the guarded welcome. Deliberately, he had not shaved. He wanted his Neanderthal looks to accentuate people's shock. Go on the attack, not defend. Shock, not justify, he thought. Death threats were issued on a daily basis. Social media outlets regurgitated trolls' bile. Many airscreen attendants emerged from his airscreen devices. They revealed chosen methods to be used to end his life. He was stoic. He felt threats were part of a right-wing society. Thermal raid highways messages were a minor irritant. Thanks to technology, if you had sufficient funds in the 24th century, childbirth was painless. Exertion at point of birth was still a necessity. Breathing technique was not just the requirement of old world's deep sea divers. Scientists relished announcement to womankind. Childbirth is now free from pain. Pain was banished. Joy of birth remained. His body did not lactate. Instead, he felt blessed to experience the milk of human kindness. He carried a new life inside him. Natural bond between father and child was to be unique. Chapter 2 Harvey found himself in a street thronged with people. He looked upwards. Sky was coloured purple. Wispy green clouds gave shade from the purple sun. People moved along a conveyor belt which appeared to replace old world concrete paving. People wore a type of respiratory apparatus. Two cylinders the size of flasks hung from their backs. Tubes connected cylinders to breathing apparatus, which in turn was fixed by a mouthpiece into the wearer's mouth. Harvey was disturbed by the look of the sky. He dreaded what mankind must have done to Earth. He was distressed by the silence. No birdsong, no vehicle noise, no one spoke. He shuddered. It was Earth. It was alien. Each occupant wore opaque goggles. Unspoken conversations appeared to be taking place between humans. Harvey assumed communication was via the mind. It appeared to be instigated by fixing eyes on each other. It must be some form of telepathy, Harvey thought. He watched the majority of people glance or lock their vision through safety glasses into the eyes of their companion. Ahead of him he witnessed what he assumed to be a mother holding her daughter by the hand. A third individual walked alongside them. Harvey assumed the individual was a friend or acquaintance. He continued watching. 
Mother and daughter spoke verbally. Harry could not hear the conversation. Muffled voices were restricted by the breathing contraption. There was gesticulation of flaying arms. They stepped off the conveyor belt. They leant forward. Wrist thrust outwards. Automatic doors of the building swung open. They entered the building. Okay, so it's all right, Vagabond Heart. It has stopped now. You can come out from under the table. Ah, uh, well, what an interesting range of reactions there. Um, gosh, I'm just going to... I'm, just gonna, I'm not even going to try and summarise it, actually. What can we usefully say here, Daisy? Obviously, it was very stylized. <laughs> it yep. reminded me a little bit of, you know, the very famous passage in Train Spotting where he's like, get a house, get a mortgage, do this. Yes. And that kind of very much served a purpose in that passage because he was talking about how we mechanically go through life and you have this very mechanical piece of prose. Yeah. Here, I'm not seeing the style serve that kind of semantic purpose so much. Um, so, yeah, I sort of drifted off. I did. Sentence mm. variety always makes things sound more musical and like sort of rips you in and pulls you in so it sort of didn't have that um from a marketing publicity perspective which we always have to take into account in publishers because yeah. we have to we, we oh, can get yeah. our books somewhere and you have to be able to sell them to media and different outlets yeah yeah, yeah. as a topic nice yeah okay i could definitely do things with that magazines will be interested you know yeah. that's something you can talk about it's very current so in terms of the topic and sort of the commercial side of selling it to outlets to have a look at i like it but yeah the style i'm not sure if it's the way to go with this no but i don't, I be don't inter i'm I... interested to hear what everyone else thinks i'm sort of yeah. a bit <laughs> i think there's a general feeling that they they wouldn't be able to read a whole book like this yeah yeah i think and it feels a bit experimental but no i don't know i mean i may be speaking too soon andy um, I don't know where to start really. Um, first of all, what does imago mean? I, I don't know what it means. What, what does it mean? Oh, that's a good point. You're putting no it on clue. the spot. <laughs> I think it's. I, I I'm going to. I'm going to venture a, um, a definition. I think it's the. I think it's a sort of caterpillar stage. I think caterpillars change into chrysalises and then they do something else. And somewhere along the line, there's an imago. But the genius room will know. You've posed the question. They will tell you. However, the human seahorse, says Katie, yes. It's, that's an interesting idea. Uh, they have lots and lots of babies. Quite interesting use of language, but needs grounding. Sci-fi meets dystopia. Roger Zelazny meets Brave New World. Indeed. Imago. Someone's, I'm sure, if we just remove that caption, I'm sure. Uh, no, not yet. Um, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, we will get there. Um, so... Um, yeah, there, there's, I mean, there, there's, one has to be honest when, when one is doing this job in that you, you, you listen slash read the submissions and, yeah. and, you know, you are trying to make notes and think of something cool in my case to say. Um, and then, you, you, you don't know, have to try, Andy, you don't have to try. Oh, but I do. Um, so there is a slight disconnect, you know, I, I think one has to be honest sometimes about, you know, I can't give myself completely to what you've written because I'm also trying to comment on it at the same time. Hmm. Um, having said that, your blurb really didn't work for me. Um, he was a seahorse as an opening line really did work for me. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was exciting. Yeah. And then, and then after, well, once, once he got into Oh my God, so sorry. <laughs> a cock up it's all right just carry on 
<laughs> once he got well, once he got into a room, there, there is there is a song on the seminal uh, OK Computer album by Radiohead, in which a computerized voice, and I could say it all, but it's something like fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, and, and on and on and on and on and on. And you, ha- and mind you, that only goes on for about a minute and a half. Hmm. Now you have here that delivery style in in text and it's then up to the reader to decide whether that is going to work for them or not for me personally although i I, you know i'd say top marks for originality and Mm. the, the the topics you are kind of commenting on are, are, are again the, the most interesting of the, the show so far. It, it, I think it's extremely difficult to engage with that style, going for it as as completely and purely, actually, as as you probably are. I feel so distanced, unfortunately, from your poet, your prose, and your voice feels so distanced. You know, just you're not using the word the, although I didn't detect many anyway. As an example, I yeah. think that distances us as a reader so much. It is therefore difficult, I think, to really engage in yeah. in, in your submission. Um, yeah. So I'd say yes, very original. But but I, I would and qualifying what I said about the the, the 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 job of a judge that I'm in, I found it quite hard to follow. Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with that. So a number, please, Andy. Um, two. Yeah, yeah. I'm just checking. You you said two, didn't you, Daisy? Um, no, I didn't. Did, the, uh, I didn't oh, you didn't? Oh, 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 oh. No, <laughs> I was happy oh, to hear right. what everyone else thought. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to nudge you. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I think it is really original. I have huge respect for people who experiment with different yeah. things. Yeah. Do I think this one works? I don't really think so, no. So I think I'm a two as well, because I still think oh. the idea is nice. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> right, so... Martin, um, there are bits of this carrot's egg stuff. Carrot's egg. Um, there are bits of this that we really do like. Um, we like the title. Um, we like the name Seahorse. That's great, male seahorse. Um, I just want to tackle the blurb. To you know, it's not blurb. It's not blurb. You've got to give us a blurb. If we want a blurb, we want a blurb. And it's not a blurb. Um, it's, it's somewhat worrying, actually. Um, I didn't really notice this before. You know, going on about Star, Star of David. Where are we going to go with that? I don't know. Um, it's experimental writing, um, and that's to your credit. It's overworked. I can bet you a penny to a pound that you've spent too long on this. You've spent too long polishing and polishing and polishing. It shows all the signs of being seriously overworked to your detriment. There's there's no feeling, the most worrying thing about this, disturbing thing, there's no feeling for counterpoint. So that, you know, when you do give us these lists, you love lists. You've got so many lists. You can, you know, lists can work really well, but usually a list of two, maybe three occasionally in prose, but a, a couple of really short punchy sort of lists within prose can yes absolutely but the length of the lists you indulge in here it's it's staccato and it, 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 you you beat us to into submission really um and you've seen the, the the results of that in the chat room right now live in front of you um there's a lot of telling there's a lot of data dumping as i call it here just telling us what's going on i don't know who he is 
he feels a bit of a cipher at the moment and that's a shame because i'd like to know a lot more about him um so yeah i mean commercially I'd like to encourage you. I'd, I would really like to, you to take this idea and represent it in a different way. And if it were represented in a different way, I would give you a different mark. But as it is, yeah, it's only a two from me as well. Let's see what the chat room's done. Ooh, they've gone for a one. Doesn't often happen. But they've got to tell it like it is, and that is how it is. So that means actually you've got 35 there. Interesting range today. 80 to 35. We are getting towards the end of the proceedings, unfortunately. Could go on all night, but we've got to, got to stop. Make your pop-up submission. Subs.latopia.com Otherwise, we'll occupy the entire bandwidth of the internet. Um, this is the time in the show, Andy. When we say to you, you can see the fruits of your labours tabulated in front of you right there. Do you want to change anything? Uh, no, I think my labours were all fit and correct. They're right. going to stick. And I agree with that too. And you've done a, a fantastic job today. And just for the record, everybody apparently in the chat room thinks you're cool as well. So you must be. And I want to say, Daisy, you've been a star. Everyone oh loves you. <laughs> Absolutely. Goodness me. How many you've taken to this like a duck takes to... What do ducks take to? Oh, it's water, water isn't it? Yes, I suppose it is. Yes. Well, yeah, and you've been a, a literary duck for us today. I suppose oh, that's a compliment. Thanks Daisy Duck always works. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you want to, if you feel that any of your votes have been excessively generous or the opposite, you can change them now. No, I'm happy. Good. And we're yeah, happy as yeah. well. And we would love you to, to come back and see us again soon, will you? Yes, she absolutely. Well, she will. That's fabulous. Thank you, Daisy. Don't forget to vote on today's show. Yeah, and do like and subscribe, as I, I'm told to say that, and I don't say it enough. Thank you for being with us today. Do like us, do subscribe, and do join us, please. Same time next week.
Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do